my name is Mark, if you're visiting, I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross, and I look forward to being with you. Sorry that we're not face-to-face today, and, and we won't be next week, but look very much forward to seeing one another in two weeks' time, and, and maybe even um, in between these weeks. Um, what I'm going to ask you to do now is to just read this text together. It's quite a long text, and I don't want to, um, you to have to hear my voice through the text and then through the preaching as well. You'll get bored of it, and then you might miss the point. Um, so we're going to, uh, if, if one of you in a group will grab a Bible or decide how you want to do it and just read the text. The text that we're going to look at this morning is Luke 11. Uh, Luke, that's in the New Testament, chapter 11, and it's verse 14 to 36. Luke chapter 11, verse 14 to 36. I do just want to say it's great seeing some of you. Joel put you on the screen. Joel's doing an amazing job with the Zoom. And he's making it almost, almost an attractive proposition. Um, but it was great to see some of you on the screen, uh, Julian and Michaela. You guys were using such a small percentage of the couch. Um, uh, uh, Caleb and Haley sitting on the beach somewhere, I imagine. Um, good to see you guys. Good to see Bernie, um, I think at the Van Wake's house. Um, nice to see you, Bernie, on screen. Um, and a bunch of others. You're welcome to put your screens on. I see the Scots have made it. Uh, Brian, you, according to my email, Brian and, and um, Esther, you guys joined the Zoom meeting last night, but good to see you this morning as well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just wonderful to see your faces. Steph and Tilly, next time we see you guys, it might be with your baby. Um, that's dramatic. That's very dramatic. But good to see you all. And Tripthi on screen, we have Jib over here, but Tripthi up there. Um, good to see you all. So grab your Bibles. You're going to go into um, some groups, Luke 11, 14 to 36, and then we're going to learn some things about Jesus. All right, let's go. All right, hopefully you'll be able to get through uh, all of it or most of it. You can keep reading it if you like. I watched a movie last night. There was um, a great question was asked. The question they asked in the movie was, who are you? So if I were to say, uh, who is Bree Street? Who is Esther Scott? Who is Rob Hulley? Who is Cheryl Hulley? How would you answer that question? Who is um, Adam Peterson? Who is Stephen Gwynn? Who is Charlotte Olas? How would you answer that question? Maybe, you know, who is Bree Street? Maybe you'd say... Um, in the current context, maybe you'd say, I'm a mother. And if I ask the second question to say, well, if that was scratched, who are you then? I'm a wife. Okay, if that's scratched, who are you then? And, um, if, you know, let's just keep going until you get to kind of the deepest perception of who you are in your identity. And um, it's a good question to ask and it's a good question to answer. But... The most important question to ask and answer around that is, who is Jesus? What's the perception that you have of Jesus? Um, your perception of who Jesus is, is probably the most important characteristic about you. It will probably decide more than anything the rest of your life. Um, and if I were counseling my children on someone they were thinking about marrying, and they, wanted, they were interested in my perspective and one of my thoughts, the first question I would ask them, more important than any question, is who is Jesus to that person that you're thinking about marrying? Um, my second question might be something like, how do they treat Jesus? 
Um, and so it might go on. The, the perception that we have of Jesus is the most important characteristic about us. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he wrote something that's become now famous as his trilemma. And he wrote this. There may be a slide that goes up. He wrote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the, fool the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is, me who is merely a man and said the, th the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis is bidding his readers to come to an understanding of the perception they have of Jesus. You must know what you think about Jesus. We form perceptions of hundreds and thousands of people all the time. Those closest to us we have perceptions of. We may think better of them today than we used to. We may think worse of someone today than we used to. We may think exactly the same of someone today than we used to. But we are constantly making perceptions um, about people, having perceptions about people. None of that will matter more than the perception that you have of who Jesus is. Your perception of who Jesus is is the most important understanding you have. Um, and this morning, I'm going to look at three things in Luke's narrative uh, that he tells us about Jesus. Number one, that Jesus has a great power. Jesus has a great power to free people. Number two, he's got a great word. Jesus has a great word that should be followed. And number three, Jesus has a great influence. Jesus has a great influence that forms those who follow him. In a boxing match, number one, a great power. In a boxing match, you fight against those who are in your own weight class. The lightest weight is called minimum weight, although most of us are probably more familiar with uh, the, uh, a term flyweight. Um, and the heaviest weight is called the heavy, heavyweight. Um, and you would never have a professional heavyweight box against a professional uh, flyweight or minimum weight boxer. Why? Because the professional heavyweight boxer would kill or dramatically damage the flyweight no matter how good they are. You'd never compare someone with in different categories, boxes. And, and here is, it's interesting, this miracle is interesting about Jesus releasing a demon-possessed man because it shows us the perception that the crowd has of Jesus. They think Jesus is pretty much a flyweight. He's, he's an ordinary guy. Um, their, their perception of him is that he needs to be empowered by Satan in order to release this person from a demon. In other words, uh, the prince of demons, Satan, Beelzebub, he is the heavyweight. Jesus is the flyweight who needs to be empowered by the heavyweight in order that he can do something. This is the people's perception of Jesus. 
And Jesus shows them the problem in their logic. It makes no sense. If Satan is uh, empowering me to fight against his own kingdom, eventually his own kingdom is going to fall. A civil, war's no, a civil war is no good, even amongst demons. This makes no sense. Your logic makes no sense. That can't possibly be true. So then Jesus introduces another thought. He says, suppose, what if, think about this, how about, suppose the finger of God, suppose this is the finger of God. Suppose, I mean, I, I find that wonderfully humorous that Jesus says, not suppose this is God. Suppose this is the finger of God. Suppose this is just the tip of God's weakest finger at work. Then what? Well, there's a few things. Firstly, then God is far more powerful than Satan, if this is the finger of God at work. Secondly, Jesus is being empowered by God and not Satan. And then Jesus is bringing to bear the kingdom of God. Then Jesus is, is bringing right before them a battle between the kingdom of God overpowering the kingdom of Satan. God's kingdom is taking over Satan's kingdom. Jesus doesn't leave them to answer the question even though he posed it as one. He drives the point home. He says, Satan is like an armored prince. Yeah, he's got some power and he's got some protection and he's got some guarding of his palace that he can do to protect himself. And, and he's a strong man. But he says, but what if you know someone stronger has come? Jesus has come who's stronger than Satan, one greater than Satan, and he is disarming him, and he is taking all that belongs to Satan. And primarily, what Jesus is talking about is people. Jesus is releasing people. He's disarming the kingdom of darkness. He's pushing back the darkness. He's brought uh, the kingdom of God, and he's releasing, through the power of God, people. And he's shown this vividly in the mute man. Jesus is freeing people by his great power. And he clarifies so that either you're with me or you're against me. This is a battle. Not everything in life is black and white, friends. Sometimes I wish life was simpler than it was black and white, but it hardly ever is. Sometimes it is. And here's an example where Jesus says, there's two kingdoms. And you're either with me or you're against me. There's no neutral ground. If you think that Jesus helps you have a good life, if that's the gospel message you heard and received, or you didn't hear but you received, and that's what you're living out, come to Jesus and He will make your life better. Come to Jesus and He'll give you the life you always wanted. If that's the Jesus you've met, then beware, Jesus says. There's a great danger that your life is going to end up far worse than it was. We need to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We don't need our lives kind of cleaned up and made better by Jesus and He kind of gives us the life we always wanted and <laughs> He's some sort of guru for us or some magician or some do-gooder on our behalf. We need the Spirit of God to come and live in us. In Luke, Luke writes just a few verses earlier from verse 13. He says, How much more, Jesus teaches, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? To Paul, uh, sorry, Paul to the Corinthians, he wrote, He has identified us as His own by placing His Holy Spirit into our hearts. And John wrote, The Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit that lives in the world. Jesus' power 
is greater than the power of Satan. But he doesn't leave us as empty homes to be filled by whatever force or power might. He gives us his Holy Spirit that we might be free to follow him. You receive him. Do you receive him as powerful? Today, it's not hard to turn on the news and see uh, the devil at work in this world. Sometimes it seems more subtle. Sometimes it seems more obvious. We live in days that are obvious, but uh, the devil is far is at work far closer than just the war that's far away or um, in, in radical uh, devastation that lives are experiencing. There's temptation that we experience. Um, there's difficulties that we're going through. No, not one of us escapes some sort of battle with the devil. Yet Jesus' power is greater than any demonic temptation or influence. When you look at the work of Satan, he always ruins lives. He always causes disruption, disease, suffering, pain. Jesus' power is greater. Jesus comes to free people, to redeem people, to heal people, to reconcile people. His work is completely different. Jesus has and will free people from Satan's destructive power. Is your Jesus powerful? How do you perceive him? Is he the maker of heaven and earth? We read those wonderful Psalms. Is that your Jesus? Does it remind you of Jesus? Does he have the power to raise you to life? Does he have the power to save you? Does he have the power to free you? Does he um, have the power to lead you? Do you and I think too little of Jesus? Jesus isn't only the finger of God. Jesus has all the power of God. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Jesus has a great power to free people. Number two, Jesus has a great word. I find it um, quite bold when I'm watching footy, and footy season started this week. I always find it bold that there is someone, or at least a few people, wearing the away team's gurney um, at the game. I find that bold because footy fans can be quite feral, not, not all of them, but it, it, can be, it can seem like quite a dangerous place to be wearing the wrong colors and uh, be barracking for the wrong team. Um, but it's more surprising when you see someone who's willing to stand out of the crowd and even yell at, at maybe the opposition players. And, and I kind of think that people are almost taking their lives in their own hands. Uh, well, here's a situation where something like that's happening. There's a woman in this crowd that's uh, against Jesus. The perception of Jesus is wrong. That's um, not really sure what to do with him. And, and a lot of them are against him. And this woman yells out a blessing over him. And it's the sort of blessing, you know, she's blessing Mary. Blessed is the mother who, who bore you and that. And it's kind of like how maybe we've blessed, maybe, maybe in World War II they blessed Winston Churchill's mother. Or maybe John Howard's mother. Or maybe Jacinda Arden's mother, Arden's mother today. Or um, anyone that we might be, we feel, we might feel privileged to know or to have in our life. We might go, you know, bless your parents for, for having you. What we're really saying is, I back you. I'm grateful for you. I'm privileged to know you. Um, I'm on your side. Jesus' response is interesting because 
he's not he's, he's really not interested in religious lip service he's not interested in a bunch of people yelling you're great you're wonderful i back you um, blessed is your mum." he's not really rebuking the woman but at the same time he is correcting her um, he's not interested in people praising him with their lips he he isn't the kind of political figure who goes around kissing babies to get votes he isn't trying to get uh, fish stickers on bumpers or crosses dangling from rearview mirrors or around people's necks he's not trying to get um, uh, become an Instagram uh, influencer with lots of uh, followers or <coughs> he's not trying to get his name mentioned in the Academy Awards and, and a thanks for giftings he's handed out he isn't trying to be somebody's homeboy and he's not trying to get wristbands on people's arms to remind them to think about what he would do. Um, he's not this sort of leader. Jesus is often misrepresented with a massive fan base, big, lot, lots and lots of fans. But Jesus doesn't want fans. Jesus wants followers. He doesn't have a flag that we can raise and pledge allegiance to. Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. Jesus frees people. Not to leave them worse off in the end, but to be free to follow Him. Galatians 5 verse 1, you can go read that. He gives people liberty. He releases them from their chains and empowers them by His Spirit to keep in step with His Spirit. His grace enables us to say no to sin and yes to godliness. There's the, the spiritual battle right there. He wants obedience, not sacrifice. Jesus wants obedience, not sacrifice. He wants followers, not fans. Jesus explains what that looks like. It always includes humility and repentance. And he gives these through two examples that the people would understand better than we do, but we, we can still understand it if we think about it for a second. The great queen of Sheba heard that God was doing something in Israel with King Solomon or through Solomon. She was a royal pagan queen, had great power um, and had re really no need to go to Solomon. But history says that Solomon called her to come and visit himself and his intention that she would come and subject herself to God. And she, in a humble response, came. She sent, history says, whether this is true or not, we don't know. It says that she sent hundreds of ships ahead with thousands of young men uh, aboard with a message to say to Solomon that I'll come in half the time required. Um, in other words, I'm going to come hastily. I'm going to move heaven and earth to come to you and to learn from you and to see what, what your God is doing. Um, to come and see if I'm convinced of that. And uh, apparently through Jesus' teaching, she does. She comes and she humbly, even though she's a real pagan, uh, a great queen she comes and sees that God is at work through Solomon and she humbles herself before him Jonah's story we know a little bit better um, and he's sent by God to go to the Gentile pagans in Nineveh and Jonah doesn't want to go he hates them so much that he doesn't want to go and tell them that God's going to punish them unless they uh, repent so he tries to run the other way and God puts him into the belly of a whale for three days, a picture of uh, what Jesus would go through. Um, and then this, this whale spits him out on the shores of Nineveh. And he, he walks into this, the, this great city, this great pagan city, 
and he reluctantly shares the word, this prophecy, probably with uh, all kind of hope that they won't respond in anything, but they do. They respond in repentance, in humility and repentance, and God forgives them. Um, and, you know, Jonah goes and sulks about it because I know, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to be merciful over them. Um, but they responded in humble repentance and didn't get what they deserved. And Jesus says <coughs> that his word is greater than Solomon's and Jonah's. Something is standing before you people that is greater than Solomon and Jonah. And if the great queen of Sheba could humble herself and repent, and if the people of Nineveh could humble themselves and repent to a reluctant prophet, then standing before you is something greater than what those people heard and saw. Uh, what should your response be? In other words, your perception of Jesus should lead you to humbly repent. My perception of Jesus should lead me to walk humbly with the Lord, um, to maybe daily walk in repentance before the Lord. But it depends on how I see Him. How great is He? How great is His Word? Jesus says that His Word is the greatest. He doesn't say that someone greater than them is here. He says something greater than them is here. In other words, Jesus is a king who's bringing a whole kingdom with him. He's inviting us um, into something. He wants obedience to his word. As I said already, he wants obedience, not sacrifice. He's inviting us through obedience to his word into a kingdom life. To follow him, to walk with him, to experience his kingdom, to walk in his will and his ways. John says, uh, in John 6.68, he said, it says, Lord, to who else should we go? This is Peter speaking. To who else should we go? You have the words of life. Jesus has invited his disciples to go with the crowd and to walk away from him. And Peter says, where else will we go? You have the words of life. This is what we can say. Every, every person can say when they perceive who Jesus is. Where else should we go? What else should we follow? What worldview? What perception? What influencer? Um, what idea, what philosophy should we follow? There's nothing else we can follow but you, Jesus. Who else has the words of life? Paul says to Timothy, All Scripture, God's Word, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Jesus' word is powerful. In Ian Murray's book on uh, Christianity in Australia since, uh, I forget, but a couple hundred years ago, I forget the date. At the end, he concludes for the modern Australians. He says this, the re amongst re uh, two or three reasons why Australia has lost its way and why Christianity has almost been written out of our history books is that Australian Christians have forgotten about the, the Bible. They've uh, forgotten its importance and replaced it with relativity. That Australian Christianity moved towards uh, let's try and let's try and kind of promote unity. Let's just stand together, regardless of truth. Truth doesn't matter as much as unity does. And he said, as that happened, Australian Christianity got diluted until there was nothing, almost nothing left. And and today the history books can uh, forget. Uh, that actually Australia has a great Christian heritage. And if we're going to refine them, we're going to have a better Christian future. We're going to have to find 
um, that Jesus' word is great. And we're going to have to uphold it and trust it and follow it. Jesus doesn't look for fans. He looks for followers. He doesn't care for lip service. He wants obedience. <laughs> Jesus' word is very great. It deserves to be followed and it leads us to God. Number three, Jesus has a great influence. A revelation of Jesus, an ongoing revelation of Jesus, a revelation of Jesus today, tomorrow, next week, will form us. A blind person may stumble along through life. They almost have to. They may have eyes, but unless they can perceive what they see, they'll stumble along the way. However, if a blind person is given sight, and in fact, some of the Gospels record, I think it's Matthew that records this miracle of Jesus, that not only has Jesus cast out the demon, not only did he receive his speech back, but he also received his sight back. Um, but when a person receives their sight, they no longer stumble. Uh, they walk through life avoiding dangers. They experience wonder and their life moves towards beauty. It's an entirely different. A blind person can't move towards beauty, can't move towards sunsets and um, whatever forms of beauty in nature we see. And they can't go and gaze upon them and let the beauty around them affect them and touch them. They've, you know, they've got to try and avoid dangers. Don't get hit by cars. Don't walk into roads. Don't <laughs> bump your head. When we perceive who Jesus is, when we have a revelation of who He is, when we see Him in His beauty, transforms us. Joshua is telling us in our breakout room that uh, when he thinks about the week going forward, he realizes that when he goes into the presence of God and sees, gazes upon His beauty, it affects his life. Asaph said the same thing in, Asaph, in Psalm 73 when he, he was confused about the world. How come it seems that the world gets on better without God than with God? And then he said, oh, no, I, I thought that until I went into the presence of the Lord, until I went into sanctuary, then I could see life properly. Then I could understand how the world really is. And his heart was changed. And then he said, who have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. The perception of Jesus, seeing him in his beauty, seeing him as he truly is, uh, affects us like light affects us. And if our eyes perceive Him correctly, not like blind eyes, but if our eyes can see Him, Jesus says, it, it, your eyes, what goes into them, forms your whole being. He says, we should not live with darkness inside of us, but with light. Jesus promises in the Old Testament to give us a new heart, that as we walk with God, as we are empowered by the Spirit, as we learn from Him, as we gaze upon His beauty, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next, that our desires and our passions and our longings and our dreams and our hopes and our intuitions and instincts and appetites are beautified as we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We start to love what He loves. We start to want what He wants. We start to um, behave in ways that he, he is like. He is merciful. We become merciful. He is kind. We become kind. He gives attention to things that are pure and lovely. We begin to be drawn to things that are pure and lovely. Christ-likeness is formed in us. The light we see on the outside, the beauty we gaze upon, becomes a transforming light on the inside. Jesus has a great influence. He forms, reforms, transforms 
those who walk with him. None of us could defeat the, the Satan by ourselves. <coughs> None of us can stand against his power alone. None of us um, have that sort of power. None of us have a word or a way or a philosophy of life that we can live by. None of us doing our own thing is ever going to prove productive. And none of us can influence our lives the way we want to. We can't become the people we hope to become in our, our own efforts, our own struggles. We'll always fall flat. And not only do we disappoint ourselves, but we totally fall, fall flat of God's expectations, of God's uh, standards. We all fall short. And so we need someone. We need something. Jesus comes as the Prince of Heaven into our world, puts on humanity, and He lives in our, our place, empowered by the Spirit. He brings the power of God into our lives. He shows us the way. He gives us His Word that we might follow. And then He influences us. He doesn't leave us as He finds us. But He changes us, transforms us, because He was transformed, because He was raised to life. He raises us to life, transforms our being, puts a new heart into our lives, transforms our minds, minds through His truth and beauty. So to those who feel powerless, there is one who has the power and is committed to releasing slaves. He's destroyed Satan's claim over humanity at the cross. He defeated sin and death and has been given all authority into, in heaven and earth. There's nothing that he can't uh, help you with through his power. To those who feel lost and confused, unsure about where life is going, what you're meant to do, you don't know the beginning from the end. You don't know if you'll ever have the things you long for. There is one who rules over time and space, not by election, not democratically, but as king over his kingdom, and his kingdom is over all. He has a will, he has a way, he has a word. It's not always easy, but it's always good. He invites us to follow him, to rest in him, to listen to him, to do his word, to be empowered by his spirit to follow him and to enjoy life in his kingdom, even now. To those who stumble and fall, welcome to the party. Who are sick of their own efforts. Those who have tried and learnt that they can't achieve much in their own power. There is one who fashions and forms our hearts who transforms us, transforms our longings after His own. Through a revelation of Himself, He is such a great influence. He doesn't have a finger pointing at how we ought to live. He says, look at me, be with me, walk with me, because when you are in my presence, you are changed. There is one so beautiful and glorious. He transforms those who draw near. You want to be like Jesus, you spend time with Jesus. Let me pray.